Welcome to All Things Erie from Erie PA. I'm your host, Kathy. This is episode 22, Haunted Castles, Leap Castle in Ireland. What we're going to talk about, go over, we're going to do some housekeeping first. If this is your first time listening to this episode or any episodes, thank you so much for listening. We've had quite a few downloads this past week. And when I talk about quite a few, for me, and just starting out in doing podcasts, I think it's a lot. However, I know from doing some research and stuff like that, I know it hasn't been what they consider, you know, a hit or anything like that. But this is for me, it's for my own, you know, sanity type thing. I really appreciate everybody who's been downloading and and listening to this. I'm super thrilled. I'd like to keep this going. We've actually added a a couple of new countries, a a number of new states. Uh, We're available on the following platforms, Facebook, podbean.com, Spotify, and iTunes. If you'd like to follow us, we're also on Twitter as All All Things Erie from Erie PA, and that's Erie with three E's, and Instagram at Kathy, B-R-D-L-Y. Not much has been happening on the home front type deal. Last week, we did Vallow and Daybell, and since then, there has been some updates on that. Uh, I had watched the Dateline episode of Vallow and Daybell, and I really haven't watched any interviews with her. I read as much information as I could on her. And I have to say, psychopath. That's all I can say about her is psychopath. When they were asking, and when I mean they, I mean the reporters, they showed interviews that were done with her. There was one reporter that followed Lori Daybell. I I keep calling her Vallow. But when that reporter kept asking her questions, she could not help but smile. And she tried to control herself, but she could not help herself. She would put her head down and she would actually smile when this reporter kept asking her about her kids and where are they? Are they alive? Or, you know, are you going to produce your kids? She actually basked in this in the people being there with Dateline being there with this reporter being there. And I mean, it's only two people, but she just basked in this, just all of this attention. So I don't know what is going on in another interview. They talked about her daughter, Tylee actually being involved in the incident with her stepfather when when he was shot because of Vallow's brother and I think that was engineered so again it's just one of those things that's the update I have on that since that was there and like I said this is an ongoing investigation and I haven't heard anything since and I and I check I check the the news every day to see if there has been any update, but 
that's, that's, that woman is a psychopath. I mean, Chad Daybell stays quiet, keeps his head down and just keeps plowing through. But Lori Daybell, she cannot help but bask in all the attention and, and she wants the attention. She is begging for the attention. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But anyways, back onto this episode. We are, we are uh, talking about Lep Castle, which is in Ireland. Like I had said earlier, and I have to admit, I was going to try and do a mini-sode, which was what I was trying to do. And I, had, I already had part of another one done for Fraser Castle. And then I started on this Lep Castle. And I, I thought it was going to be super easy and until I started the research for Lep Castle. And I have watched shows about Lep Castle. It didn't matter if I'd seen it before or whatever it was. And, and I usually watch those shows like around Halloween because I like to get a little spooked and stuff like that for Halloween. But it always gave me the chills, especially when it talked about the one piece that we're going to talk about, which is the elemental. And there are a number of ghosts that have been calling Lep Castle home for centuries, like I said, including the one called the elemental. The name Lep Castle might conjure up romantic version uh, visions of a grand stone fortress, you know, rising over the Irish hills. But in reality, Ireland's Lep Castle the history of it is more violent. And and when I mean violent, I mean violent than any season of Game of Thrones or anything like that than what we watch right now. And it's history, not fantasy. The nearly 800 years since the County O'Flay Castle was constructed, families had been divided and executed over the true ownership of this castle, which led to battles that were so gory that history often was hidden. And to uncover the truth meant to discovery of a story of murder and betrayal. Now, Lep Castle itself has been on a number of TV shows, like I said earlier. And, and those ones, those TV shows also include like Ghost Hunters and TV's Most Haunted, but the history behind the castle and what what is actually at the root of the reputation of the castle because for me i would my dream vacation is to go on tour and visit all of the castles in ireland scotland and england and you know whether they're haunted or not i would just i would love to go to see these castles. That's, that's my dream vacation. Like if I won the lottery type thing and just go. The background on the castle is it was built by a wealthy family called the O'Bannon family and somewhere, and this is a big leap here between the 12th and 15th century, but they're leaning more towards 1250. But before it was actually built, this is this is a little bit of a legend. There were two O'Bannon brothers who were constantly at odds 
over which one was going to inherit their father's estate and have control of this castle that was going to be built. Because if you think about it, back then, what life was about was power and money and, and status. And if you were the heir, life was hopefully going to be easier for you and your family. Second sons usually went to the church and third sons, if there were any, and this was before, you know, the, the Navy came along for England or anybody else, there was a high mortality rate for infants. So one day you could be second in line, the next the heir. I mean, that was the reality of life back then. So the legend was they proposed a competition. Each brother would both jump off a huge rock located on the site of the future castle. The one who lived would get to control the building of the castle and the family clan. Now, remember, I said lived, not who jumped the farthest, the one who lived. The, while the winner of the deadly competition, if there was one, it that kind of got lost through time. It likely explains why the castle was originally known as, now I'm going to try and do this, this is Gaelic, Lem Un Banahan, or O'Bannon's Leap. And that began Lep Castle's saga of bloodshed. I'll be honest, this is just absolutely asinine. But then again, when I did my family tree, I found out that a cousin of mine way back in the day, like I'm talking like early 1800s, died during a bet trying to cross a river in a canoe. So, hey, everybody's got one in their family tree, right? The O'Bannon rule over the Lep Castle wasn't a long one. However, they were liegemen to the O'Carroll clan and they were and the O'Carrolls were a ruthless clan. They seized the Lep Castle, which launched a gruesome carnage that left a huge supernatural scar on the core of the castle's reputation. And according to legend, many a massacre took place within the walls of Lep Castle at the hands of the O'Carroll clan. So think Red Wedding consistently, possibly every other month at Lep Castle, if, if you know what I'm talking about, the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. When the chief of O'Carroll clan died and left no successor, which is never a good thing, the dispute developed between his sons, Thaddeus and Thig, over who would rule. So he did have heirs, he just didn't name who it was going to be. Thaddeus was a priest, which is always never a good thing if you have your oldest one who's a priest. And he was in the midst of a mass when he was slaughtered by Thig in what is now known as the Bloody Chapel. The legend says that the priest's apparition can be seen wandering the Bloody Chapel as well as the stairway below. So now this is my understanding of how things worked way back in the day. If you were a priest or if you were going into the vocation as a priest and you had any belongings, you couldn't take it with you. As a priest, 
you had to give up all earthly belongings because that was what Christ did. Uh, there were, I think it was the, there was, there was a thing of three or something like that, that the, the priest had to adhere to. But if, if it was an heir to a, say, a family estate, that heir would basically donate their family estate to the church. And then the church in turn would take over the family estate and they would do whatever they wanted with the family estate. So that's how the church would come into ownership of some of a lot of land. That's my understanding. I could be wrong, but that's how I understood how that worked. They didn't have to give over that. They could give it to the next available heir. A lot of people were very, what's the word I'm looking for? They had a certain ideal of what their family name should be upheld to. And if they felt that that next heir was not going to uphold the family name, they would not pass it on. That being said, even though that there was another brother and why this priest would try and take this over, I have no idea that it just makes no sense unless he was thinking about giving up the priesthood. Going back to this, I know I was rattling on there because that that's just unfathomable to me because I didn't, ugh. Either way, behind the walls of the bloody chapel, you'll find what's called an oubliette, which was once filled with hundreds of human skeletons, which is so odd for it to be in the chapel. Many of the skeletons were mounted on wooden spikes when they opened this up. There's two explanations for this mass grave. Either the O'Carrolls had launched a mass attack in the chapel and then just pushed the remains into the hidden room, or they used the wooden spikes as a method of surprise attack for unsuspecting visitors. Because if you're going into a church, you don't go in with your blades or armed, so to speak. You're not thinking that you're going to be attacked into a church. Now, in the 1900s, the oubliette was discovered behind a wall in, the ch in that very chapel that contained the, those human skeletons. And there were so many that it took three cartloads to remove all of them. And it was believed that it was the O'Carrolls who dropped the unsuspecting guests through the trap door to be impaled by a spear eight feet below. So you're being dropped eight feet onto a spear. Hmm. Not fun. So the O'Carroll's reign of torment over Lep is completely one of legend. I mean, these guys, I'm telling you what, I think they're absolutely psychopaths and it just went down the line one of their more infamous slains was that of the mcmahon family they invited this family to a celebratory feast at the castle in honor of the of the mcmahon's victory over another rival 
of the O'Carrolls, but rather pay them, the O'Carrolls opted to poison them. And they say that the ghosts of the McMahons have been seen by many hauntings on the grounds of Lep Castle. That is, the O'Carrolls are definitely a very interesting group of folks. Another notorious spirit of Lep Castle is the Red Lady. She is described as a tall specter clothed in the fluttering red, red gown clinging to a sharp blade. Now the story behind this, because usually when you have specters of a red lady, it's of a woman who was a prostitute or a mistress that was killed during a, um, an affair or in something of that nature. But this story is that the red lady was imprisoned by the O'Carrolls and she was repeatedly raped. Now, obviously, she would have gotten pregnant, but she gave birth to a baby who was then murdered by the O'Carrolls. And she was so overwhelmed with grief by the loss of their child that she used the, used the knife her and put an end to her own torment. There's another story in here that later on down the line, there is a descendant of one of the O'Carrolls who ends up moving in and she gets into the occult. That's when a lot of these experiences start to happen. And I'm gonna read you a story of her experience. This here is, I'm gonna read it word for word. The spirits of the red lady, she was described as a very tall woman clothed in a red dress. She was seen carrying a dagger in her hand, raised in a menacing manner. A strange luminescence is seen radiating within her. People encountering this spirit have commented on an immense cold filling the room and permeating into their heart. It is thought the woman was captured by an O'Carroll and subsequently raped. The baby born as a result was then killed by the O'Carroll, reasoning that they could not afford to feed the child. Distraught, the woman then killed herself with the same blade. A guest of the Darbys, that is the family that is related to the O'Carrolls later, later on in the centuries that took over the, the castle, this is one of their guests. On the 31st of October, I went to my bedroom about 11 p.m. During the night, the time was 12.45 a.m., I subsequently saw by my watch I felt that I was awakened by someone in my room. It was pitch dark at first. I could see nothing. I was wide awake with an extra, extraordinary cold feeling at my heart that rapidly increased in intensity. Almost immediately, I felt as much as saw that there was a tall figure in the middle of the room. My first impression that O'Connell himself was there as no other member of the household would correspond to the height. What is that? I asked. There was no answer, but now I could see dimly at first and with increasing distinctness that the tall figure was clothed, clothed from head to toe in red 
and with its right hand raised menacingly in the air. To my utter astonishment, I could see that the light which illuminated the figure from within, having very much the effect of the dark lantern used in a photographer's room, as the figure advanced towards me, and the light increased, and I could see distinctly the form was that of a very tall woman holding some sort of a weapon, knife, or dagger in her hand. What is it? I asked again, adding, Who is it? And then hurriedly struck a match and lit my candle. As the flame of the match and candle illuminated the room, I looked all around. The room was empty. And th there's a note here that the name O'Connell was used by the author of the letter, obviously to preserve the an anonymity of the castle with Mildred Darby's wishes. Now, Mildred Darby is the um, ancestor of the O'Connell. That is an experience that one of the guests had had with the Red Lady. Now, back in the 1600s, the castle switched ownerships. It was not a peaceful passing. The daughter of the reigning O'Carroll chieftain became smitten with one of the English uh, prisoners in the castle dungeons, a, cap a Captain Darby. See where I'm going with this? The O'Carroll daughter would regularly sneak food down to Darby, and the two con concocted plans to run off together and get married. Late one night, she snuck down to the dungeons and freed him, and the two began their grand escape from Lep Castle. Their, get their getaway was cut short when they ran into the girl's brother on the stairwell, and the two men commenced into a sword fight where Darby emerged the victor. Upon the death of the O'Carroll son, the daughter became the heiress to the castle. When the newly married Darbys took over Lep Castle to start their own family and invested in expansions and renovations, Captain Darby was a bit temperamental and became known as the Wild Captain. Is it a bit strange to you that anytime anybody becomes the owner of the castle, they either become very temperamental or they have a bad disposition, or they are just a complete psychopath. Now, this captain had amassed his own treasures in a battle, which he hid throughout the property. The captain, he ended up, he was imprisoned for treason in Dublin. But then later on, he was allowed to return to Lep Castle. The years of imprisonment drove the captain to the brink of madness. And he was unable to recall where he had hidden his fortune. As this legend goes, the fortune still remains in Lep Castle. And on certain evenings, you can see the ghost of the wild captain searching the grounds for his lost treasure. Now, I'm really surprised at this point that you, you don't have people trying to search the grounds for this lost, lost fortune. Because that kind of money or that type of wealth would be worth more than actual money because it would be a historical find. Mildred Darby, it, who is one of the captain's ancestors, was a Gothic novelist who regularly performed seances within the walls of Lep Castle. Mildred Darby practiced supernaturals that the seances they believed awakened the elemental of incredible dark magnitude. 
just whatever the elemental pres presence is manifested is anybody's guess. Some say that the elemental was put there by druids, even before Lep Castle was built in order to protect it, while others say it is the spirit of one of the O'Carrolls who died of leprosy. Mildred Darby claims to have seen this evil up close and described it as a thin, gaunt, shadowy, and emitted the smell of a rotting corpse. Look, all I have to say is whatever Mildred was into pulled a whole lot of crazy up out of that castle. She should have left that shit alone. I know they say a Ouija board is just a game, but that's one game that's not allowed in this house or any house that I own, rent, sublet, or anywhere near, period. If you don't have a clue as to what you're doing when you end up letting demons and shit up out of there and you don't know how to put them back, don't be letting them out in the first place. That's what happened when people were doing seances. I don't care. That's something that I do believe in. I do believe in the supernatural. I've seen stuff. I've heard stuff. I've, ex I've had my own experiences that's why people are on certain websites, certain podcasts, certain Facebook boards. Everybody has their own little niche. Ouija boards are a big no-no. I don't care. They, they say that it's just a game. No, I think that because people want the the piece to move yes it is moved however we all know about the dolls that are possessed i'm sorry other items can be possessed also and ouija boards can be one of them so y'all might think i'm crazy but that shit ain't coming up in my house mm -mm. nope no 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 not a happening now one of the things that Getting back to this story, one of the things that Mildred Darby did was she wrote stories about the castle, but she wrote it under a pen name because A, she wasn't allowed to write about it, B, her husband didn't allow her to write about it, and, to, and she did it until he found out about it, and C, she was writing truthfully about her experiences in the house and it became very popular now one of the stories was called the murder hole room and the various experiences that have been reported in the time of the darby's residency unfortunately they don't know where the room was located they believe there's two possibilities of the room's location it's either the north or the south wings the blue and the red rooms respectively. One argument for the south wing is that the south side of the tower, the, uh, it's the original residence or original entrance features a machalation. I'm hoping I'm saying that right, which is theoretically a murder hole in the tra traditional sense may have been situated um, at this area of the castle guarding the maid entrance. Uh, it's uh, gothic wings that force the removal of sections of the north and south walls uh, that were possibly destroyed that, of that structure. 
or the murder murder hole room may have been situated on the north um under the what they consider the oubliette the oubliette could quite easily have been referred to as the murder hole it also ties into the spirit of the murdered O'Carroll priest and which goes ties into this account um that I'm going to talk to you about and this is her Mildred's experience which she called the murder hole room in her uh, it was an article called the Kilman Castle the House of Horror I put my hand out of bed snapping my fingers to call her nail it which is her terrier my hand was suddenly in the grasp of another hand a soft cool hand at a temperature percep perceptibly below my own flesh to say i was astonished would be mildly convey my feelings after a few seconds of steady pressure the other hand let go and almost simultaneously I heard a heavy sliding fall like the collapse of a large body at the foot of the bed. Then in the absolute stillness of the room, there sounded a deep human groan and some half-articulated words, or to be accurate, prayers. People have complained before, in fact. We don't generally put anyone in, on there now. The room is called the muckle or the murder hole room. And the story goes that the stain on the floor is the blood of a man stabbed there by his brother. Two O'Carrolls quarreled over the ownership of the castle. The room has been disused for 50 years or more when we did it up. The stain has been planed off the board several times, but it always comes again, creeps up from below in a few hours. I have to say, I personally would not know what it sounds like for a body to slide and fall at the foot of my bed. And the fact that she does, just a teep, wee bit creepy. Um, yeah, that part's, yeah. It, you know, the, like I said, that she knows what it sounds like, mm. She's whoop. so that tells me that she's had way more than those types of experiences. She she was writing this in her in her home in an, in a time frame that she had to have experienced way more than this in a in a in a lot more. She had to have been experiencing it more often than not. In some of the research that I that I was reading about the that particular room that they're talking about that was above the oubliette, they said was used as a storage room for the longest time before she made it a bedroom. Now there's two other um, hauntings uh, that I'm that I'm going to read about. It's about two little girls named Emily and Charlotte. Now, they've been seen at Lep Castle, and they, they're mainly seen playing in the main hall and running up the stairwell. And they're, they were believed to, lead, to have lived at the castle during the 1600s. And Emily died at age 11, and she fell from the castle's southeastern battlements. 
People outside the castle have reported seeing a girl fall off the castle roof and disappear before hitting the ground. And little Charlotte has been seen with a deformed leg that drags backwards behind her. Mildred has also seen a young girl at Lep Castle, and her encounter is as follows. Another night I was sleeping with my little girl. I awoke and saw a girl with long, fair hair standing at the fireplace, one hand at her side, the other on the chimney piece. Thinking at first it was my little girl, I felt, felt on the pillow to see if she, were, if she were gone, but she was fast asleep. There was no fire or light of any kind in the room. That's a bit messed up, but at the same point in time, you have to remember that they have servants coming in and out of their room, so maybe not as young as that, but at the same point in time, they do have servants in and out of that area. So depending on what the little girl looked like at the point in time. Now we're going to get to the elemental. This is the one that freaks me the fork out. Every time I see it, every time I hear it, during, especially during Halloween, this one here is just completely messed up. The time of its appearance, they're not quite certain. There's been vague mentions of a spirit at Lep Castle since the very beginning. One belief is that the elemental, like we said, was put there by the Druids long before the castle was even built to protect the sacred site for initiations and druid magic. Another theory is that the elemental was placed there by an invading force to burn the castle from the inside. The, and that person responsible is thought to be Gerald Fitzgerald, the Earl of Kildare. And he was, he was thought to be a magic practitioner and had attempted to take over the castle on several occasions. One myth says that the elemental is the spirit of an ancient O'Carroll who died in the castle from leprosy, which we've talked about before. And it's said that the reason for the decomposing facial features and the stench that accompanies it is because of the leprosy, because the, that's what leprosy does to your skin. Whatever this entity is, it only seems to make its presence known when people begin to provoke it. Well, no shit. It, any ghost is like that or any presence, depending if it's like poltergeist. Poltergeists are the ones that, if I'm not mistaken, they're the ones that like to mess with you. But most ghosts, unless they're, I guess it depends on the ghost itself, right? If they're good or they're bad, some of the, the bad ghosts are the ones you don't want. But if you go poking a stick at them, no pun intended, they're going to come after you. The other ghosts, if you, if you leave them alone, they're going to leave you alone. And if you ask them to say, look, stop, I, you know, I'm, this is not, this is not what I want. Most of them are, you know, but what are you going to do about a malevolent spirit that is just that's been there since time immortal. I mean, come on, you know this going into it, you buy this property. I mean, this isn't exactly, you know, a $50,000 home, even a $200,000 home. If you know this going in, it's not like you can walk away. 
this is a mortgage. And I mean, this is a castle. Come on. It's not like you can just go, oh, you know, my bad. This wasn't what I was wanting. Anyways, the they describe it as the best descriptions they have are the ones that were given by Mildred Darby, an associate staying at Let. And the descriptions as written in the Occult Review article, The Kilman Castle, The House of Horror, and leading up to the abandonment of the castle, when Jonathan became aware of the publication of the story, which is the husband, he was furious and said that he never forgave her for writing it. He always claimed that the ghost stories, which had been told for centuries about his home, were sheer nonsense. And he had, he had absolutely forbidden Mildred from speaking of them. The only spirits in his house, he would often state, are in the cellars. And this is in a time frame where his wife had to listen to what he said. Most wives today would have looked at him and said, bullshit. I'm going to write what I'm going to write. But again, time frame, you have to think about this. The spirits of which there were, they're saying there were like 19 of them were quite, what they're saying are quite real, ranging from a banshee going to the partially clothed red lady to a phantom light. They often been seen glowing from within the upper floor of the keep when no one was there. Mildred, Mildred's story, though, perhaps even a bit overdramatic in the telling, was based upon fact. Others attested to the ghostly encounters that leapt for ages, and Mildred herself had twice come face-to-face with the most terrifying of this castle's entities, and she would call it it and the thing, and, other, and which others have termed the elemental. And this is part of her, her entries. I was standing in the gallery looking down at the main floor when I felt somebody put a hand on my shoulder, she later recalled. The thing was about the size of a sheep, thin, gaunt, shadowy. Its face was human, to be more accurate, inhuman. Its lust in its eyes, which seemed half decomposed in black cavities, stared into mine. The horrible smell, 100 times intensified, came up into my face, giving me a deadly nausea. It was the smell of a decomposing corpse. She described a final encounter with it in a letter to a friend. On the 25th of November, 1915, two of our servants, knowing the quote-unquote master would be late and that I was driving that afternoon, had invited friends, two soldiers, from the barracks at Burr, distant the other side six miles. They came rather late and my husband came home early so the visitors had to be kept out of his sight in the lower regions of one of the wings, the priest's house, and were unable to be shown the center tower, the the very lofty hall. At 7.15, my husband and I went up to dress for dinner, my room in the extremity of the house from the kitchens, his dressing room next door to to me. Whilst dressing, I was startled by a loud yell of terror-stricken male and female voices coming apparently from the hall and ran out to see my cause. My husband was out ahead of me at his heels and I passed through a corridor of the wing and onto the gallery. On the gallery, leaning with, his hand, leaning with hands resting on its rail, I saw the thing, the elemental, and smelt it only too well. 
At the same moment, my husband pulled up sharply about 10 feet from the thing and half turning, let fly a volley of abuse at me, sending, ending up dressing up a thing like that to try and make a fool of me. And now you'll say I've seen something and I have not seen anything and there is nothing to see or ever was. This last speech without a pause begun waving one hand at the thing end up by stalking back to his dressing room, still abusing me for trying to give him a fright. As he was speaking, the elemental grew fainter and fainter in his outlines until it disappeared. He never made any inquiry as to why the yell that called us both out. And from that day to this, he has not mentioned the incident to me. Well, if he isn't going to acknowledge it, the elemental's not going to bother him. Because remember, I said, if you're not going to provoke it, it's not going to bug you because it said it only comes out when, when it's being provoked. I heard from our servants that when he went to dress for dinner, they had brought their friends just to show them the hall when all four had suddenly seen and smelt the elemental looking down at them from the gallery. They all got such a turn. They couldn't help letting out a ball when then fled to servants corners when where all four were very sick. The next day, two maids presented, were they presented le with letters claiming it was necessary for them to immediately pay visits to their homes. They never returned to let. Well, I'm sure that wasn't the first of servants that left like that. I mean, come on, I, I really, really doubt that. In early 1922, Jonathan found himself at odds with his tenants, which resulted in their refusal to pay their rents and boycott against the Darbys. When events escalated to the point that shots were fired through the castle windows on several occasions and their garden was destroyed by persons unknown. In April or May of that year, the Darbys felt compelled to flee from their home and live with their daughter in Longford. We were forced to leave with only a few clothes, leaving our precious belongings behind. Mil Mildred wrote later to a friend. And then on the morning of July 30th, 1922, a group of men broke into the castle and smashed the furniture into firewood, set the castle on fire. They set the ca castle ablaze and then looted whatever could be saved from the fire. The Darbys ended up abandoning Lep Castle in 1922. And at this time, Ireland was fighting for its in independence from England. So there was a lot of stuff going on all in one clip. The least of their worries was the elemental. After the Darbys' departure, the castle was bombed and looted for, by the IRA, who hung peacocks from the meat, meat hooks along the tower. And a friend of Darby's lived in the castle briefly until she died of gangrene. So the castle itself, though, it laid in ruins until 1974 when a Peter Bartlett purchased the ruins. And he set about restoring the castle and, he, and the gate lodge. Bartlett himself, he was actually an ancestor of the O'Bannons. He did restorative work for about 15 years, and he claimed that he witnessed poltergeist activity through much of it. He even went as far as con contracting a white witch to drive the spirits out of the castle. And that white witch claims that, that the spirits vowed not to cause any more trouble, but insisted on staying in the castle. Bartlett ended up dying in 1989, and then the castle was bought by a Sean Ryan, who him and his partner, Ann Callanan, 
they are the owners now. Ryan, he's been plagued by a bunch of freak accidents since he's lived in Lep Castle. One result was a broken kneecap that delayed restoration of the castle. Once he re once he renovation, yes, I can talk. Another accident left Ryan with a broken ankle. With the malevolent history and creepy inhabitants, it just did, it didn't stop the Ryans from conducting their new their newborn baby's christening in the haunted bloody chapel. They felt that that joyous event was a nice way to start their lives in that uh, church. Uh, it's like I said, it's still privately owned by the Ryans. They don't offer overnight stays, but he does do tours of the castle. You either can believe this or you don't. I mean, like I said, it's it's been on several different haunted ghost hunting shows. And they swear up and down that it is haunted because of all the um, supernatural things that go on there. And I mean, like Ghost Hunters, TV's Most Haunted. But I mean, just just the little things in general. I mean, as much carnage that happened in that particular castle, I'm, I would be surprised that there wouldn't be. I mean, the... Bannons, they were just very savage in how they treated people. And it, it, it wasn't the most nice time to be around. But at the same point in time, there were, there was etiquette, there was, you know, hospitality rules and things of that nature, but they seemed to take that out the window and they just flew by their own rules. So anyways, that is the story of Lep Castle. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, if this is your first time listening, please go back and download and or the other episodes. And they are available on Facebook, podbean.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Facebook is All Things Eerie from Eerie PA. And Instagram is at Kathy, B-R-D-L-Y. That is my story. And this is Kathy signing off.